business women trust that Jesus is enough to meet every need and satisfy every heart. Praying you will be encouraged and strengthened through this message from the Discipleship Summit. surrounding is so we we fell asleep and probably about four o'clock in the morning we thought a train was going to run over our feet like we both sat straight up in bed and what was that right well we got up the next morning and of course we didn't sleep after that but we got up a little later and there was a house next to where we were staying and on the other side of the house was the train track and what I just want to share is, you know, that train didn't know we were visitors. It was on the move, and there was nothing that we could do to stop it. But it was coming through. Ready or not, here it comes, right? As I read, um, we're going to look at Daniel today, about living praise. You know why we have living praise? It's because we have a living God. There are different ways that we can praise the Lord, all right? And as I go through the book of Daniel, I have to giggle. My husband said, how in the world are you going to do that in a half hour? I'm studying the book of Jude. It's only one chapter, and it's taken seven weeks. But what I wanted to share with you is these are just evidences of living praise. They're not even in, they're not in a certain order. They're just evidence of the overflow of Christ living in you, living in Daniel, living in Esther, living in uh, the chosen people that follow the Lord, right? So when I first um, when I first became a part of Titus, one of the verses that spoke to my heart and still speaks to my heart is Jeremiah 5.1. Run up and down the street in Jerusalem, says the Lord. Look high and low. Search throughout the city. If you can find even one just and honest person, I will not destroy the city. Amen. It was interesting, as I was looking in the book of Daniel, right? I'm going to go to Daniel right now. I'm going to jump all over the place, but we're going to start with Daniel chapter 3, and then we're going to go back 6, and then go back to the beginning. But at the very end, or Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> the Lord had just spared them from the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar had called them out. And he said, He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die, rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race, nation language speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be burned and turned into a heap of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. This happened, this happened in a day, right? 
Okay, look at King Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius sent this message to the people. This is Daniel was in the lion's den, and he had just been rescued um, by King uh, Darius. The king sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. I want to pause here just for a second. It's been a long time since we've heard that we should tremble with fear before the living God. He goes on to say, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. There's so much in this book that I want to share, but we're going to start back with chapter one, okay? Because as I look at this, I'm like, Lord, I see what Jeremiah's writing says. I see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have done, and it changed the course of history, right? I see what Daniel and the lion's den has done, and he has changed the course of history too, right? But how do they do this? What, what, what is it? that we need to do so that we can stand strong. And here's the question I'm going to pose to you before we go on. Are you all in? Are you all in? Because it's interesting, if you are a doctor, you want a doctor that's all in, right? If you go to a restaurant, you want somebody that's all in and that's going to make that order. You know, if they forget the spices or if they burn the food, you don't want that in front of you. If you, a businessman, a singer, and she gets it right 90% of the time, I guarantee you that you probably would be saying something. Her notes, did you, like, right? A lawyer, you want your lawyer, if they're representing you, to be accurate. Every profession in life, it doesn't matter what it is, or what business it is, or what you do, you give your whole 100%, okay? It's interesting, children playing baseball or playing a, a sport, they practice three times a week. They go for their game, right? And then they still practice on top of the games because they want to increase their skill. They want to increase, you know, their, their techniques. They want to build relationships among the team. But yet when it comes to our Christianity, we ask the Lord to save us and maybe forgive us of our sins and baptize us. And then we have called it done. I have done my duty. Check. Right? And the Lord is saying, no. Look at the life of Daniel. Let's look at, are you all in? Are you all in? Are you 100% all in for Christ? Daniel chapter 1. <laughs> On the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim and Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. 
So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Who permitted him to take over Judah? Who was it? God. All right. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with the Babylonian names. Daniel was Belshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, Azariah was Abednego. I'm going to stop right there. Let's just get caught up a little bit on what we're looking at. Babylon was a city that was just very wicked. It was very evil. It was everything not righteous. Um, they wanted to build it. The bigger, the better. That was Nebuchadnezzar's his, his idea. The bigger, the better. But Nebuchadnezzar was a king that if he wanted your head, he would take your head. If he wanted you to survive, then you would survive. But he had no qualm about cutting anybody's head off at all. Or tearing you apart, as we saw back uh, at the end of Daniel, right? So <clears throat> what we're seeing is the first thing that happened was they had their names changed. And their names, um, their names were Hebrew. And in the Hebrew, their names, Daniel was God is judge. And it was changed to Bell, protect my life. It was the God of Nebuchadnezzar. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. And his name was changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of a coup. Michel, who is like God, and his name was changed to Meshach, who is like a coup. Azariah means the Lord helps, and his name was changed to Abednego, meaning servant of Nico. The king wanted to change their identities. It's sharing earlier this morning. When you change your identity, you change your root. The root of who you are, of what you know, right? He wanted to change their minds. He wanted to change their culture. Does it sound familiar? They wanted to indoctrinate these boys and these men to be strictly Babylonian. They wanted to train them in the literature and the culture to strictly uh, be uh, who they wanted to create them to be, okay? Uh, they created them to be eunuchs as well because they didn't want them to have children, all right? They wanted, uh, didn't want any rebellion and they didn't want them to build up their own dynasty. 
in the midst of the culture, in verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these things, unacceptable foods. It was interesting because Daniel had purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And I think it's interesting when you read through the book of Daniel, nowhere does Daniel ever call himself Belshazzar. The king does, but Daniel doesn't, right? Daniel stays true to his identity. In the midst of the world and the culture he was living in, how did he do it? Being purposed not to defile himself. You know, when my husband and I got married, one day he, he said, Great, I think we probably were even on our honeymoon, which is probably the best place to say this, right? But he said, We will never, ever talk about divorce. You know, divorce has never come up in our home, it's not even the subject. Right? That's what God wants us to do. Purpose in our heart to serve, not to follow ourselves, but to serve Him. And then these other subjects don't even arise. They don't even come to the surface. They don't come to the table. If we allow our identity to be changed, if we allow our name to be changed, our identity will be changed. Right? It's just the, the flow. If we do not purpose in our heart, our identity will be changed. So the very first one I have there, and I'm determined not to defile yourself. All right? If we go on, if we read that these four men, uh, they go on and they study. They go to three years of learning. And God gave them an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period was over, the king ordered them to come in before him, and Daniel impressed him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. No other had impressed him so much as these four. Shortly after that, the king had a dream. Now, this king must have been something else, right? He had a dream. And I'm going to read the dream because chapters 2 and 3 are kind of hinged on it a little bit, okay? So here we go again. One night, during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. <clears throat> Paraphrasing the next couple verses, nobody could tell him his dream. So the king swore that he would kill all the wise men in his kingdom. So he sent out, in verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. There is another evidence of living praise. 
whenever we come to the Lord, the beginning of the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And the Lord desires us to seek wisdom, to seek after Him, and to have sound mind. He said, Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Here comes our third evidence of living praise. <laughs> I love this one. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what had happened. And he asked them to pray to the God of heaven. When we have the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in us, we realize that we cannot do life alone. And so we reach out and we ask our friends to pray, right? Sometimes, um, sometimes if, you're, if it's your request, you can. Sometimes if it's somebody else's request, you still have to be very careful. But they're heavy. And you can reach out and ask a friend to pray because you're carrying a burden or you're carrying a load. But this is one of the marks and the evidences of the spirit-filled life, is having other people pray for you. And then there's strength in number. We're going to see that uh, when we come to chapter 3. So his friends pray. And after his friends pray in the night, the secret was revealed to Daniel. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And I'm going to share the praise. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of the world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. <clears throat> he reveals deep and mysterious things, and he knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Do you see anywhere in there where Daniel is saying to himself, poor me, we're going to be killed, we're going to be dead here any minute today. Nowhere do you see him feeling sorry for himself. But he praises the Lord. And the Lord gives him and reveals the dream to Daniel. Um, each dream that the king has, I'm just going to share. Daniel's faithful to interpret them and to help the king. But I'm going to hit this one at the bottom. I did say that earlier. But while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. And then um, what he dreamed about in his vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like a chaff as a threshing floor, 
but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereign power and strength and honor. He made you the ruler over the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take place. And this is going to happen four times in this lesson here, okay? And then the kingdom of our Heavenly Father will come and you will disperse it, all right? So, 44, during the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock from the mountain, though not by human hands, the crushed to pieces, the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God will show the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and the meaning is certain. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole providence of Babylon, as well as chief over his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. When we pick up in chapter 3, we pick up with Nebuchadnezzar um, building a statue that's 90 feet high. It's 17 years later, and he makes the statue of all gold. Do you think he didn't want his dynasty to end? And just decided to do it himself? Possibly. And then he said in verse uh, 3, People of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lair, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar, gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But there were three men there, right? They refused to serve the God and, and would not worship the gold statue. So that's our next, our next uh, living uh, praise number five. They will never serve a gold statue or any, any worship any gold item. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. You know how hard it is to talk to somebody that's in a rage, right? You're like, we're either very fearful of them, or we just went out of their sight, or both, right? He flew into a rage, and he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. 
And here's, here's my question. What happened to the other captors once it came back? Where were the other Jewish peasants? Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I think there was probably more men that came from Jerusalem than just four. Where are they? Do you think Do you think they didn't purpose in their heart? Do you think their identity was changed because they didn't purpose? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my God and worship the golden statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. Isn't that nice of the king? <laughs> When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they say, you are not the God over death. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. You know, I find it interesting. I don't think any of us would bow down to a 90-foot gold statue. Um, this, this, this building is about three stories high, go about eight, and that's about the size of the golden statue, okay, eight stories. All right, if we said bow down, I don't think you would, right? But if I said bow down to your insecurities, bow down to your cell phones or TVs, bow down to materialism, bow down to your work. I think we're more guilty than we think, right? Are we purposed? Are we purposed? Are we determined? Are we resolved to follow? Nebuchadnezzar was so furious. This just tickles me every time. Here comes his anger again. He was so furious that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie the three men up? There are four in the furnace. <coughs> I just want to stop for just a second. With every 
heartache and experience that you have, when the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, He's going to be with you. Now, not everyone will experience His face and His presence walking around with Him, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You will have His presence, right? But you know what? In Scripture, Stephen was being martyred for his faith. And who did he see? Yeah. Yeah. John on the island of Patmos. Who did he see? Yeah. Uh, Richard Wormbrand. I was listening to his story. And he was telling he was in solitary confinement for three years. And he was 70 feet under the ground. And he said it was so, so silent. The guards wore felt on their shoes. You couldn't even hear them coming. But every time he got up to kneel to pray, and they would see him, they would come and beat him. And they would beat him so bad, he said, I was beaten so bad. I couldn't think. He said, when I got out of prison, I couldn't even write. I couldn't even write the letter D. But he said, you know what? In those times of brutal punishment, I saw the face of God. He said, I almost welcomed it. <laughs> I almost welcomed it. The Lord's with us in the fire. But now, what happens if we still burn up? Because that happens. And then I thought of another man. Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. It wasn't, it wasn't taken from him, right? But he laid his life down. But, but what I want to show you, and I'll read it again, at the end of chapter 3, they come out. Oh, oh, we forgot an important thing here. When they were in the fire, what happened to their hands? They were broken free. Ladies, sometimes the fire frees us. Walk through the fire. The fire will free you. And it gives you purpose to stay. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb to limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There will be no other God who can rescue this. Now, I don't know if you all have noticed this before, but do you know who wrote the next chapter of Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar. I think we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Right? But he tells, he tells about Daniel. He tells about... Um, but let, let me read the first three verses anyway, because he gives praise to the Lord. 
I think it's interesting. Now, some other places he gave praise to the Lord, and we're like, is that real or is not that not real? Is he just honoring their God, or does he really have? But I believe here, he really has a relationship with Christ, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people every, not, not at this point in time, I'm sorry. Let me, I'll go, when I get down a little further in chapter 4. Not at this point in time, does he? King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you to know about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful are his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. He is eternal. Our, our living God is eternal. He'll never die. He'll never disappear. He's eternal. And then the king goes on to share that how the spirit of the holy God is in Daniel. And he shares again uh, uh, some explanations of dreams. Okay? And then after Daniel, I'm going to jump over to verse 27 of chapter 4. After Daniel explains to the king the dream, he tells the king that um, a period of time will pass. And he will graze like a cow and be drank with dew in heaven. And he will live this way for a time and season. Right? He, and he tells the time shift. But um, he stops Nebuchadnezzar. And in passage 27, verse 27 and 4, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break free from your wicked paths and be merciful to the poor. Right? There comes a point in time when Christ is living in you, the living God lives within you. Because he dwells within you, as Cricket was sharing a little earlier, what is in you is going to be poured out from you. But I believe Daniel had started a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. I think they have respect for each other. But Daniel says to the king, I wish these events of this dream would happen to your enemies and not to you. So I think he started to develop a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then he's like, stop sinning. Just stop. You know, there are times that we as women, develop relationships with other women or our children or, and we uh, speak into their lives for years. But there comes a point in time where we have to say, just stop. Stop. Stop sinning. I think one of the greatest helpful uh, conversations I've had is that when I was like, just discouraged, you know, and I've gone to a friend, and they're like, Debbie, stop that thinking. Stop right now. Stop. You know? Because sometimes we just need somebody to, like, we need it that blunt to see that we are on the wrong track. Okay? I'm going to read just a portion of it, okay? It was the first year of the reign of King Darius the Mede, the son of Azarias. Azarias, sorry, who became the king of Babylon during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord 
Don't you love that? I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie in desolate for 70 years. Part of our living praise, right, is learning the reading from the word. And then he acted upon it. Okay? He turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. And I wore burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. And then he starts praying. He starts praising uh, for the exiles. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. He starts off with praise and then he repents for the people of Jerusalem. And as, he, as he's praying, in verse 18, he says, Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See our city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. And then he went on praying and confessing. I love this part. He's pleading with the Lord for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, guess who comes to Daniel? And he said, Daniel, I would have been here earlier, but I got detained. Right? But guess what Daniel was praying for? Daniel was interceding for his people. And it was it was the, the beginning of the return back to Jerusalem. And he was praying for his home. Sometimes we're going to meet a lot of opposition when we start praying for our home, for our community. Then we go back to Daniel in the lion's den. And I think when we go to Daniel in the lion's den, you know, it used to be a really big deal for me. But after I saw how Daniel prayed, and how he committed his life to the Lord. Daniel and Lionson is still a really big deal. I wouldn't want to be thrown in the den, right? But I realized how he depended on the Lord. I realized how his life was one with his Heavenly Father. And he wasn't afraid. We see the decree go out in chapter um, 6, where um, here's his buddies, right? His buddies are trying to see what they can, can get on him. And they can't find anything except that he prays, his faith. So his buddies um, take a decree to the king and ask the king to sign it, that no one should pray for 30 days, divine or human, but to the king. So the king signs the decree, and then Daniel learns of the law. This is verse 10. Daniel learns of the law, and um, he went home, knelt down as usual. That's my favorite phrase, as usual. In his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. Now doesn't that, I think if, I think if Daniel would have been like, Lord, you've got to save me from this lion's den, I would be like, oh, yeah, Lord, save him from the lion's den. But he goes and he starts giving the Lord praise. And he overflows with a heart of praise. Daniel was not spared from the lion's den. 
but he was thrown into the lion's den, and the Lord was with him. And I heard a story. When Daniel, could it be that when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was thrown in, the first thing he did was pray? I could see Daniel on his knees, maybe because as a child, I always see that picture where Daniel's on his knees praying, right? In the lion's den. But there was an author, and he said, could it be that he did pray? And then, when he realized that the Lord was shutting the mouth of the lions, do you think for the night he maybe leaned up against a wall? And maybe a lion came over and laid next to him and he petted it? Maybe one let him put his head on it for the night? Right? I, I, I like to think that the Lord spared him, but not just spared him. The Lord gave him a good night's sleep. The king is so fearful. He's fretting, he's fasting, and he's, he's waiting for the time to pass. I'm sure it was his longest time ever, right? And he goes to the, the den the very next morning, and he's like, Daniel, servant of the living God, <laughs> has your God spared you? I don't know. If in our day today, in our Christian walk, if we have been all in, if and when we're all in, there's eternal rewards, there's eternal consequences, whether we're spared or we're not spared. You know, the Lord went to the cross, he wasn't spared. But we're all here because of Jesus Christ. Right? Daniel, he was spared. But what did the king do? He sent out a decree, we will worship the God of Daniel, the living God. Right? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We will worship the living God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 9 and 10, and I have them listed here, the Lord tells Daniel, Daniel, you are so precious to me. You are three times. He tells Daniel, you are so precious to me. And then in chapter 12, you know, I have shared, I love this verse. I don't, I don't know why. I don't need to read it, but I'm going to because I love it. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. The very last verse of Daniel. As you go your way until the end, you will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise again and receive the inheritance set aside for you. The Lord came to Daniel and he said, Daniel, this isn't the end. You're going to rise again. And this is all in the Old Testament. Right? The Messiah hadn't come yet. But look how much the Lord had showed and shared with Daniel. Because Daniel allowed the Lord to work in his life and work in his heart. Daniel purposed. Daniel was all in. What would, what, would our, what would our culture be today if we were all in? Maybe if we want to change, it's going to start with us. We've got to be all in. No fear, right? No insecurities. Jesus, help us with those because we've got them. God, help us. Give us strength. Help us to see a bigger picture. Like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego.